Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. Here we are. What are we, episode five or six? God, I always lose count with these things. Another episode of Fractured Skulls. Terminator Chimes, alongside my good friend Monoxa. Monoxa, hi, welcome. How you, how, you, how you been doing this fine weekend, my good man? Uh, this weekend has been a bit confusing because Friday, I was supposed to get Super Mario 3D All-Stars from Amazon. Somehow it ran late. It arrived today. I thought it got lost, but I guess it arrived today. I played about a two minutes of Mario 64 on it, and then I just went right back to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So that just tells you my life story. I, I wanted to pre-order the new uh, PlayStation 5, but the pre-order was supposed to be set for Wednesday morning. Instead, they pushed it ahead of schedule and made it Tuesday night, and I didn't know about it. I didn't find out till that Wednesday morning. And by, and by the time I found out, all the pre-orders were sold out. Well, not just that, but I was watching a video where a guy said basically that even though he was like one of the first people to snag the pre-order, he may not even get it because of the high demand for like three weeks. Exactly. And I don't know when they're going to put up another round of pre-orders at this point because especially with the holidays coming up, it's going to be insane. This is, this is the new Turbo Man. Guys... Well, let me give you advice. I know this is a horror movie podcast, but let me give you some advice when it comes to new gaming consoles coming out. Unless it's Nintendo, seeing as Nintendo has a reputation for making such durable hardware, don't buy an Xbox or a Sony console as soon as it comes out. Because as you know, those consoles are usually like the beta testers. Because after a year, those consoles usually start to wonk out. Specifically in... Um, with the Xbox 360, if everybody remembers the Red Ring of Death issues. Yep. Yep. I own one of those. I can tell you from experience. That was no fun. I had to, I had to get two 360s. And wasn't it true that apparently the first batch of 360s, they were running on fucking bananas? From what I heard, yes. So Xbox, so has, uh, Microsoft has always had their issues with the, uh, with the Xbox uh, series. I've only owned one Microsoft system. I usually get Sony systems and I get Nintendo systems. Nothing against Microsoft, just it was my thing. Plus, most of the games that I want on Microsoft are already on Sony, so. Yeah, you were always a, you were always a Nintendo boy. Pretty much, and <laughs> Breath of the Wild, I've already, it, the, the system says I've clocked in, let's see, 155 hours or more into this game. You yep. dork. You nerd. Yep. Sony uh, yeah. does what Nintendo don't. Sony, uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to take over what Sega couldn't do. Oh, I miss Sega. Yeah, me too. Anyways, wait, this is a horror movie podcast. No, what are we doing? <laughs> we're here today. We're here to discuss uh, the second biggest horror movie that came out in 1999, behind Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. You know. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> I actually did not mind that one. I actually thought Attack of the Clones was worse than Phantom Menace, personally. Well, I didn't care for uh, Attack of the Clones. I, it, it is probably worse. I, I would agree to that. But Phantom Menace is not a movie I would watch over and over again. There were The only scenes I cared for in that movie was Darth Maul. I thought, he, I thought he looked like a badass with that makeup. To be fair, I'm a biased Liam Neeson fan. So maybe Qui-Gon Jinn was what lured me to keep watching the film and then he gets killed in it like they couldn't even keep him for more than one movie they had to kill his ass like for real 
when I say Attack of the Clones is worse, I don't even think it's a bad movie. It's just that I don't remember a blessed thing about it. I, you know what? The prequels is basically this, like, Darth Vader became bad because they took his mommy away from him. Mm-hmm. And the second one, uh, who's that assassin? I all right, I don't know my Star Wars characters off the top of my my head. Uh, the hunter who was in the original trilogy, uh, Boba Fett—that's his name. He became uh, Boba Fett became Boba Fett because his dad died. Yeah, Jamba Fett. No, I, I'm I'm bad with Star Wars terminology. I'm gonna get ripped to shreds by Star Wars fans right now for not knowing. I know. So basically, everyone became bad because they had parent issues. That's you know. I never I hate it when movie series work backwards to try to to try to make sense of everything that's happening now when honestly you never really had to do any of that to begin with because of the whole again like we've heavily preached on this podcast and with chillin' killin' less is more. But I think it worked for Star Wars because had they not have gone that route, the line No I am your father from Darth Vader would not have had the impact that it had had we had the original or the prequel trilogy come out first and then the newer New Hope Empire and then uh, Return of the Jedi. I I don't think it would have had that same impact. But would you have done a trilogy? You could have just done one movie to establish that. He, well, that was the original plan. He was going to make, if I'm correct from the interviews, George Lucas was going to make this, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy was all supposed to be one movie. But it would have been way too long and the budget would have been too much. So he kind of separated them. And st- I forget the reason why he started with A New Hope. But in my opinion, had you started off with A Phantom Menace, the line, uh, Luke, I am your father. Or, no, I am your father. Really, that's what he says. Would not have had the impact or the cultural impact that it had. And I think because that line is like legendary, not just in the Star Wars franchise, but it's legendary just in movies in general and in culture, American culture. Oh, yeah. So it needed to be the way it was had it it for it to have the impact that it did. Well, yeah, but if you're going to make a series, I mean, on paper, you know, we're going to tell the story of how these guys came to be. It sounds awesome. I go, hell yeah, I'm all in. But then the execution, you're like, eh, it wasn't really that interesting. I guess not. I guess because George Lucas suffers from the whole um, a movie is what's the line? Uh, the movie is never finished, just put to the side. Like he feels that movies can, even after they've been released in theaters, can still be worked on because they they keep editing the Star Wars films in general. Yeah, and I don't. And now with these new ones, which really alienated whatever Star Wars fans are left. I mean, I'm just so happy we're not talking about Star Wars anymore. But with these fucking movies, they keep finding a way just to come back from the grave. Just look at the Halloween franchise. They just don't stay dead. It's going to be someone. Hey, let's start over. Yeah, why not? Anyways, don't we have a horror movie to review? We do. We're going to talk about The Blair Witch Project, 1999. Uh, How did you discover... (laughs) I'm going to ask you, how did you discover this movie? Monoxide? So... I didn't discover it. It was, um, it's a funny thing because I actually first watched this movie on New Year's Eve. I want to say, yeah, it was New Year's Eve 1999 going into Y2K 2000. Um, my parents had rented this from the video store 
they obviously heard about the uh, the legend of the Blair Witch Project, or at least the the legend of this movie when it came out in theaters, like everybody talking about it, and rented it, and uh, we all watched it about a couple hours before the ball dropped, and that's pretty much my story on that. On your first viewing, did it impact you the same way it impacts you now? If you were to watch it now, um. <clears throat> It's hard to say because I've seen this movie several times. Like, this is one of those horror movies I've seen so many fucking times. Pardon my language, but I've seen it so many times that I could probably reference scene for scene what goes down. Uh, when I first saw it, so it was 1999, so I would have been at the ripe age of 10 when I saw this. Yes, I'm an old boy. Um, so when I first saw it, it was confusing because this was the first found footage film I ever watched. And I, I'm not sure if it was the first found footage ever made. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So it, this was a novel concept to me that the whole movie was based on recorded footage on a camcorder. And, and I was just like a little puzzled. Like in the beginning, I wasn't puzzled. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to do this and then they're going to go to the acting part. But the whole movie was based on a camcorder. And then was like interesting um i think as far as the impact it really did a good job to me as a 10 year old because as you just said earlier less is more um there was no gore in the film that i could well oh hold up hold up hold up hold up, hold up. i tell a lie there was one scene you can argue had a little bit of gore in it. um but we'll get to that and but a lot of the movie centered around just the unease that these three individuals are being hunted by a witch it was really something to to be beholden especially in the year 1999 um because the equivalent to that i think we said it before would have been um paranormal activity because it pretty much the same premise except that instead of it somebody being lost in the woods this involves a, a girl who's apparently possessed and everywhere she goes, this demon keeps uh, haunting her wherever she lives, and she can never get away from it. And they've recorded it all via security cam uh, footage and actual camcorder, blah, blah, blah. That type of deal. And I think at the time in 1999, it did a jo good job because they went further beyond just, oh, well... It's uh, a found footage film. They went as far as to saying that everything was real. They had a website. They had a documentary based on people who knew these three individuals. Uh, they they went further beyond the limit. And for 1999, that could be pulled off. I mean, in the year 2020, probably a little harder to do because people will probably just find out it's fake. Yeah, they'll find out it's fake. I mean, for this to really work, you'll have to really surround yourself with a bunch of unknowns, cast unknown actors, uh, if you really want to sell the fact that they were missing, you could go the same route a uh, cannibal holocaust did, have them sign contracts, have them <laughs> store them, ship them in a box, store them somewhere in Europe for at least a year so you can sell the movie, the campaign, and to really sell the fact that did these kids actually disappear? Was this a, are we watching a real movie, you know? This was filmed uh, on a $60,000 budget, and this film brought back $254 million at the box office. Making it one of the most successful independent films of all time. I don't even think uh, the original Halloween made that much. I, I think they did 25 million, maybe 50. 
for 19, what was it, 78 came out? Uh, 1978 is when Halloween came out. Um, and again, I think, I mean, Halloween did something uh, revolutionary in the fact that, yeah, the guy got shot six times and just got up and left like nothing. Um, but the real uh, sentiment of scaring people is is what we are watching real. Like, for example, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be another prime example of a movie where they tried to sell it as a real story when in actuality it technically was real, but they there was like some uh, changes to the story. Like, for example, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was based on a killer that took faces off of uh, people, but it was Ed Gein, and I don't recall him having, uh, wielding a chainsaw around and him just grunting all over the place. I believe... I mean, I'm pretty sure that they did true stories prior to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think this was the first film to really market around the whole based on a true story. Texas Chainsaw, that is. Um, and, as far as going far with it, yes, because yeah. obviously the internet was in its infancy and they could use, like, the, the internet and websites and domains and all that stuff to promote it. And then obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there was a documentary that was based on people who knew the three individuals talking about them and the lead up to their going missing. Yeah, and especially for the fact that they used the whole based on a true story or true events in a horror movie. That was still fairly fresh for its time, even for 99. And yeah. that was that was a big selling point behind this campaign. And as as you mentioned, it's a found footage film. Um, it is not the first found footage film. Uh, I know there was a as I mentioned, Cannibal Holocaust. A lot of its scenes was uh, done in a style of found footage. Uh, there was another movie. I think it was called The Last Breakdown or the no The Last Broadcast. That was a, that was again done in the style of found footage. And there was even an episode of Tales of the Crypt back in which this episode came out in 1990. It was called the Television Terror. It was about uh, this television. It was done in the style of uh, ghost stories. How those guys are going to like a haunted place with their cameras and they try to talk to the to the afterlife, the the, the dead, the spirits. Mm-hmm. But that Tales of the Crypt episode was done in that same style. But it was done in the style of uh, found footage. They were recording like a live broadcast, like a live, almost like a live stream. This guy right. goes to this house, and then weird shit starts happening. It's on YouTube. It's a great episode. It's one of the best uh, crypt episodes they've done. But yeah, as I mentioned, um, found footage was not was wasn't necessarily nothing new. It was been, the idea has been done before, but this was the first time it was done on a mainstream level. It started. I mean, Blair Witch started a new subgenre for horror, and that was the style of found footage. And now, since then, everyone's been trying to reduplicate that formula, whether it be Paranormal Activity or um. Uh, Cloverfield. Uh, there was one movie I'd seen that was in the style of found footage, but instead of it dealing with the paranormal, I think it dealt with the uh, alien abductions, but I can't remember the name of the movie. It was on Netflix for a little bit. Um, there's a uh, horror anthology franchise called VHS, which is again done that same style of found footage. Oh, that's one movie we definitely got to touch up on at some point. You seen the second. I didn't know you seen that movie. I've seen... All three of them, I think. Uh, but I've seen the first and second one multiple times. I've only seen the third one once. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, we definitely got to do those movies. That, that we're putting that on the list right now. VHS one and two. We might even do back to back, depending how, how, how much we can talk about out of it. Oh yeah, I can. I've got plenty to say at least for the second one. But yeah, it's 
and, and the thing is that this film has no jump scares. It has no music, no score. The only music you hear in the movie is when they're picking up their uh, their sound guy, and you know, just the music on the radio. And that's what I love about this movie because it's done so well for 1999. Because the what I like is that the audio is not clean. It feels like it was actually the audio they used was um, was basically picked up whatever the webcam recorded webcam the video camera recorded. Because now you look at these found footage film, the the audio is clean, like it has like it has that Hollywood touch, which kind of, it and it really doesn't make it stand out. It just feels like uh, it just feels like another uh, found footage film. But here it doesn't feel that way because again, this was filmed independently by a bunch of students, and it really gave it that that feel that like like that realish feel to it that you know that I feel a lot of these uh, found footage films don't have today, or really just a lot of movies in general. Well, that and the three people who portrayed the, the characters that they would portray, they didn't overact to a certain degree like most of these new, uh, like most of these people when you watch these found footage films, it feels like they're just overacting. Like they're taking it, like it's almost unbelievable in a sense. Um, these three in particular, it wasn't rushed to the idea that they were in trouble. Like, when you first watch the movie, it just, it starts you off trying to get to understand these three people and, and understand what they're doing. They're going into a forest to go discover this, this unknown uh, entity called the Blair Witch. And they interview a bunch of people and you think it's going to be an innocent project. They actually go into the forest, which they were told not to do or at least not go off track. They do anyways, and then catastrophe happens. And the other thing is, when you see these found footage films now, they always try to add in all this crazy crap that only makes it look very hokey, as opposed to when you watch uh, this one, like you said, not much is done as far as like popping in your face but it's just those little things that they throw in there that make it like really scary. It, it's, it, it goes back to what I say. The thing that lacks in horror films is that now it relies on jump scares. Well, I can freaking jump behind somebody without them knowing and just blow an air horn and they can get scared. Yeah, that, I can do that. Not a problem, but can I actually lure the person that's hearing my story or watching my story get so uncomfortable and be at unease to where it's like oh my god like is this person gonna make it out okay what's gonna happen this that and the other like like that that unease tension that you get when you're watching a really well done horror film it's psychological it's there's a term for that and that's psychological horror it's only 80 minute movie i think i think it's even a little less than that if you cut out the credits but it's uh this film is so very slow build and to today's audience, that's probably boring to them because they would probably want to jump scare or something or blood or throw something at the screen. But this film heavily relies on psychological horror, which is the very slow build. And, and you slowly descend into their madness of what they're going through. And John Carpenter perfected this so well when he did the thing. It's just it's the unknown. You don't know what the hell's happening. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if it's a monster, a spirit. You don't know what the hell is, is happening to these kids. The biggest horror, a lot of movies rely on jump scares here, it's just a pile of rocks. Yeah. They wake but up and like, what's this pile of rocks doing here? Think about this. The pile of rocks was placed in a, like a weird pattern. Yes. And 
whoever was that was doing this was clearly hunting them. But the big thing, I may have mentioned this in one of the episodes, the big thing about this film is that you don't see the witch. You don't ever see the witch. Movies nowadays, they'll just fucking like show the witch. I mean, granted, the new Blair Witch Project that came out like two years back, which I, I thought was an abysmal fucking movie. Um, the, the whole idea was you never saw the witch. And I think that was a true testament to this movie because I don't need to see it. Like it makes it that much scarier to know that there's this thing out there known as the Blair Witch. Like, why do I need to be to have it thrown in my face? Now it's just like, oh, so that's what it looks like. Not knowing what it looks like, and it possibly killed all three of these people, and this story could be real? That is what sold this movie for me at the time, at, at 10 years old. And still kind of does, but I am trying to look at it through the lens of somebody who would be Gen Z and has did not grow up with this film. Obviously, they would have been too young to have seen it when it first came out you know uh going into this movie they were going to show the blair witch uh the problem was that during filming i when they ran out of the tent scared when they heard all those noises the camera was supposed to pan to the left and there you were supposed to see a woman wearing a white dress but like far in the distance but what happened was the actor forgot to do that and then they didn't go back to and since they were very tight on money and budget they didn't really have time to reshoot that scene so uh they just left it as it was, and and I thought that was a huge blessing in disguise. Cause again, it's not unknown. It's just a is this a, a spiritual witch? Do we see this witch? Does it possess them while they're sleeping? Like what is going on here? And it's and just the whole slow build them to the final scene, uh, in that in the house in that abandoned house, and we still don't know what it was. Yeah. It's that mystery of what the hell is this thing that was hunting these three individuals. Like, it's really hard to go in depth with what happens. Like, like all that really happens is they film a scene in this film uh, where they're, they're trying to film a documentary based on the Blair Witch. Where <clears throat> they're trying to film near certain uh, locations of the witch. And then all of a sudden they get lost and as the movie progresses they become more irritable they become more uh unnerved they become more anxious they become delirious it's become a point where it's just like they start to lose their minds and it's very in my opinion all three of the actors and act and actress did a fantastic job of creating that that unease to say the least because had they had picked three people that maybe couldn't pull those emotions right, I don't think the movie would have had the same effectiveness, personally. Oh, no, you almost would have had an entirely different movie in that aspect. Very kudos to all three of the actors involved, because I, I put myself in their shoes, and I would have went crazy, too, if if this girl is telling me, oh, we're only uh, uh, we're two hours away, I know where we're going, and then two hours go by, and then she says, no, no, we got to at least be another hour away. And then an hour goes by, and then it, and then it just keeps going in that pattern to the point you're like, all right, where the fuck are we going? What's going on? Who's got yeah, the map? That- and then you later found out that the sound guy got rid of the map. Yeah. And his, and his reason for getting rid of it because he said, well, we're already lost. You guys, you know, this map is practically useless. So he just got rid of it. 
Yeah, pretty much. Because he, he was starting to lose his mind, too. It was just like, fuck this. I, I, I don't need the... It, it, they started doing irrational things, like eating leaves. Um, I, I guess we should talk about the iconic scene of this film. This is the film that kind of like sold itself on posters and all that. The scene where her confession. Uh, what's right, up? Sort of. You mean like her confession scene? She's crying. Yeah, and she's up close and she's tearing and all that. Yes. That is. There's a reason that scene is pretty fucking iconic. It's like it's a desperate plea, or it, like desperation is literally flowing through her at that point like she cannot take the abuse anymore and it's a really well done scene because it's just like you can finally see the uneased tension like like they're they're really like feeling like they're they're done for it's it this is it like they're gonna die in these woods there's no hope for them and, and you know they can't even see because the last time they slept they lost one of their friends i believe his name was johnny he was the one that found the slime on his bag, obviously, and basically foreshadowing that the witch was, you know, found her first victim, and that was going to be that guy. And so now they're afraid to sleep because at this point, they, when she made that that little confession, they were they were stuck in the woods almost a week at that point. I think I believe I was trying to keep track of the days that went by. I believe that was day five. At that point, the dude is already missing. They don't know what happened to him, and then they hear him in the in some sort of house that they found abandoned. And eventually, something happens in the house where they they hear his voice, and they run downstairs, not knowing what the hell happened. And all you see at the very end, you hear her crying, Heather crying, and you see the sound guy just basically like up at the corner because they made an illusion that what the person would do is he would take two kids leave one in the corner, kill the other one, and then take the one from the corner and kill that person too. So it it was playing on the notion of the, the legend and all that, but meanwhile, you still don't really know what's going on because just everything is so subtle, if, if that makes sense. He's in the corner. Heather, you got to realize, uh, for those that are watching, this house is pitch black. So the found footage film you're seeing, the view, that's that's the only light they have. So, mm-hmm. so she's running down these stairs. So, of course, you know, they got separated when he, when the sound guy heard Johnny crying. And he's like, he's downstairs. And so he immediately ran downstairs. And then as he, once he went down there, boom, the camera fell. Did he get attacked? Did the spirit witch or whatever, the witch, did she possess him to go into the corner? We don't know. Until Heather goes downstairs and she sees the sound guy. She's crying like, you know, like, where are you? And then she gets downstairs, and as you mentioned, how the Blair Witch, you know, got, you know, did to those two kids. One sat in the corner, and the other one was getting killed. So now you assume the sound guy is in the corner, and unfortunately for Heather, she got killed. And then the hair camera fell, and then boom, fade to black, and the end credits came up. Yeah, it leaves a lore of mystery uh, that can only really be done at this point in time. Because, like, if you try this now, again, I just don't think it would work. Even if you have the credential actors and actresses, like you said, how are you going to uh, prevent them from obtaining work for a long time just to sell the idea that the what you did was real? It's it's impossible. And at this 
at this point in time, this is the only movie I could think of that could pull this off at this point. It's the only found footage film, in my opinion, that really hit a home run on almost all cylinders. Yes. Like, if you were to make this now, well, the first thing you would have to do, you have to make it a time a timepiece film. I mean, you can't make this story work in 2020 or, or, or any of the 2000s. It has to be in the late 90s, so there's no cell phones. Um... You have to use a 16 millimeter camera just to give it that uh, that that feel that uh, old or that old like non Hollywood camera that they would use now for these movies. Um, well, and, too, because and, if if they're going to be filming like in the streets, then you got to make sure that all the cars that are in the streets are from the 90s and all that. So that's going to be pretty difficult to do. Yep, and you have and you have to again film this in a small rural town so you could. So you could kind of get away with a lot without spending too much money to make it all everything 90s pop culture. It's just make it a small rural town, a bunch of uh, locals, and then you should be fine. But even then, I don't think it, it can be done. No, <laughs> no, the formula's been done to death. I mean, really, everything's been done to death at this point uh, in Hollywood or in the in horror. It's, it'll be very hard to make a movie like it'll be very hard to make a movie like this today to make it stand out. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be just another movie. Yeah, because it's been done to death, like you said. Nobody can really pull off the acting that these three did. Nobody really has... And not only that, you got to have the story, too. Like, the, the story was well done. It's it's about this witch that just really has a perplexing nature to her um, that you don't really know much about. Like, you, you, you hear things, but it's not really well-defined, and it's just... It's really mysterious, and... To really get that pulled off is going to be a feat in and of itself. I, I, I would, I would like to see it done. I just don't see how it would happen. I mean, I, I did Paranormal Activity hit those cylinders? Uh, in a way, yes and no. I Paranormal Activity I thought was fine. I mean, I didn't think it was no Blair Witch. I didn't think it was like a masterpiece, but it was good for what it was. But the problem with Paranormal Activity. It's that now you started a trend. Now all these movies, these found footage, are going to try to follow the same formula and try to capture the same magic in a bottle that uh, Blair Witch did. And it, you can't. And, and, and it doesn't help that they made a freaking franchise out of it. They even tried to do it with Blair Witch. I mean, as soon as it, that movie came out, two days later, freaking Book of Shadows came out. Oh, yeah. Book of Shadows. You want to talk about a rush sequel? Well, was that really two days? <laughs> I mean, no, no, I, I was just speaking like metaphorically. I mean, the movie came out in yeah. 2000, so it was released fairly fast. And that movie, I don't even know if it was theoretically a direct sequel. Like, it, I guess we'd have to touch up on that movie on another one. But it was just that one was really weird how it, it was considered a follow up to the original. Uh, uh, to me, the only real follow up was that uh, a porn movie that we got a couple years ago that I thought was like one of the worst movies I'd ever seen but like it's it's weird because Blair Witch in my opinion was one of the best but the sequel that came out a couple years ago is like one of the worst it, it's, an, it's a name grab it's a cash grab Holly it's a Hollywood uh, movie Hollywood had to get their hands involved they saw money in this because obviously this film made huge profit and they wanted to cash in on, on it as fast and as soon as they can. I wouldn't even be surprised if Book of Shadows was supposed to be its own movie. 
And, and then they stepped in and said, all right, channel, and they made all these changes to make it and just added Blair Witch 2 on the title just to sell uh, VHS tapes. I mean, why not? I mean, they kind of, <laughs> Nintendo kind of did that with uh, Dookie Dookie Panic and made that into Mario 2. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time Hollywood has done this kind of stuff. They're known to do this. Whenever something works, they want to make as much money as they possibly can. Look at Star Wars! Well, yeah, that's Disney. Disney wants to take over the world, so. <laughs> they do. But if you have not seen the Blair Witch Project, um, I, I rented this off of YouTube for like four bucks. I, I try to, if you have it on, if it's, I don't think it's on, I didn't find it on Netflix. It's not on Shutter. It's not on any big streaming platforms I know of. But if you have to, find a way to get your hands on this movie. Um, if you are into found footage films, I am for the most part. Uh, the found footage style doesn't bother me as long as the story's engaging uh, I'm all in, you got my attention yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie, but for anybody who may be uh, growing up in Gen Z territory try to keep this as an open mind um, this is the 90s where cell phones there was no uh, cell phones with cameras on them, or at least not as frequent uh, everything had to be relied on a camcorder this was uh, an era where there was no Facebook, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't anything like that. So try to keep that in mind when you get to the points where, like, y there's tension from them being lost. Like, keep that in mind because I know it's a world that you're not used to because you've obviously grown up with cell phones and all that. I understand there are certain things that you couldn't imagine grow like growing up without. I, I couldn't imagine growing up with certain things that baby boomers didn't grow up with, but try to put yourself into that perspective before watching this. Cause otherwise you're just going to look at this as, Oh, well, what's the big freaking deal. Don't look at it as, Oh, well, where's the gore? Where's the action? Try to look at it from the perspective of if you're somebody that was living in the nineties with limited technology to help you out, no GPS, None of that, no Twitter, no Facebook, none of that stuff, no GPS tracker or anything like that. And you're in the woods with two people who theoretically aren't your friends. They're just people that you're you're helping with in a documentary and you have no way out. You're all by yourselves and you feel like you're hunted. Go into that movie with that mindset. The only social media you're going to have in this movie is your local payphone. Because that's the only way you're going to get in touch with your loved ones. And, of course, they're in the middle of the woods, so there is literally no way for you to get in contact with anyone. Yeah, even then, this movie was released in 99, but the events were to have supposedly taken place in 1994. So it's even earlier than that. So this is even before PC computers were becoming a standard. I, I don't, that, that's, that's a scary thing to think about. It really is. And for this film to have... No gore, no movie score, no well, very little blood. Uh, I guess that that was that was really the most violent it got was just that small scene. No big budget studio behind it. It's just, I mean, you want you want the definition of an independent film? It's this movie. Yeah, pretty much. It had all the all of the disadvantages, and yet it made two hundred and fifty three million at the box office because the gimmick was that this was real. Yep, as Vince McMahon would say, it was such good shit. <laughs> it really is. That is, it is good shit. 
the movie was done so great that for the past 20 years everyone has been trying to copy this formula and, and has failed for the most part there's been some good found footage films but none of them have been close to the success uh, that was the Blair Witch Project other than Paranormal Activity maybe I mean it, it, argue the quality if you want to but it at least was successful yeah 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 Paranormal Activity Cloverfield was successful too at least the first one it was filmed in a style of a found footage the sequels didn't do that same style about Wreck Wreck or well yes uh, Wreck was a foreign film that came out in 2007 Wreck was a very good movie uh, I know they remade Wreck into quarantine right and that was fine I, that was fine that was whatever I, I'd have to watch that again it's been a long time but the Wreck movies uh, were very good. I, I think that was the first found footage zombie-style film. Yes. Uh, that was the first one I had seen of its kind, other than what we would see in one of the VHS films. That, and I know George Romero did a found footage film in 2007 called Diary of the Dead, which I thought was terrible. Damn. I'm sorry, George. You, you made a bad movie. Look, uh, all, so. it happens to all to all great directors. Not everything you do is perfect, unless you're the Coen brothers or or maybe Quentin. Yeah, virtually. But with that said, I I can't stress this movie enough. The Blair Witch Project is a must see. You get two thumbs up from both me and Monoxide. Uh, ignore the sequels, the reboots, whatever other spinoffs they had on this. Nothing's gonna top the original. As no. uh, Nevi Kevill said, in Scream Four. Never fuck with the original. Yep, I can't stress that enough. Like none of these films ever came close to Blair Witch Project in, in just almost all facets. With that said, I think that's gonna do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. Next week we're gonna be reviewing uh, the Silence of the Lambs, starring the great Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. I mean that movie swept the Academies. It took everything. Yep. Uh, and I have a funny story re relegated to that for the next episode. So. Yep. Uh, of course, you don't know already. We're, we're exclusive for Patreon on patreon.com slash chillandkillingpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at chillandkillingp1. On Instagram at chillandkillingpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at silentpoison. You can follow Monoxide at Monoxide YouTube. Also on Instagram at uh, Owen underscore heart underscore guy Did I get that right yes you got it right yes and of course I'm on Instagram as well as at silent poison you can follow all of us on our uh, main uh, uh, social media platforms we'll be back on chillin killin uh, coming soon I'm not sure when this episode's gonna go up probably uh uh, after or maybe before who knows but be sure to stu uh, stay tuned into the chillin come podcast we got great features we still got monoxide's top 10 favorite horror films he's gonna do i'm pretty sure he's got a shitload of uh, honorable mentions he's gonna have for his list when are we, when are we gonna get to that uh top 10 uh, monoxide uh, whenever like, I, I still gotta make my list but whenever you really want to push it forward if you really want to push it forward to after the silence of the lambs or after the uh, October movie uh, schedule that we've got. I mean, it'll at least push me to having to make the list quicker. So, yeah, we'll we'll know we'll we'll play it. So we'll do it after Rob Zombie Month. All right, then at least I know I have a month to prepare. Yes. 
as I mentioned, fans, next week, Signs of the Lambs. And uh, all of October, we're going to be reviewing all of Rob Zombie's movies. The schedule list is uh, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, Three from Hell, and a back-to-back episode on Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, take on the franchise. And we have, we're definitely going to have a lot to say about those. <laughs> I don't know if they're necessarily be good. <laughs> For Monoxide, I am Terminator Travis. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Deuces.